Welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is George Camilla, Digital Energy Analyst at the International Energy Agency in Paris. George leads the IEA's analysis on the energy use of digital technologies and coordinates cross-agency efforts on tracking clean energy progress, digitalization, and automated and shared mobility. Today, George and I will be talking about the environmental footprint of the many digital technologies that have now become fixtures of many of our lives. We'll focus on energy consumption, George's primary expertise, but also touch base on a few broader issues and impacts. And we'll also talk briefly about some of the technologies that most of us probably don't use in our day-to-day lives, like Bitcoin mining, but which experts are keeping an eye on nonetheless. Stay with us. George, it's a pleasure to have you on Resources Radio. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Kristen. It's great to be here. Great. Uh, So my usual introduction, I'd love to ask you to start by telling our listeners about you and about how you became interested in issues at this intersection of energy, climate, and of course, the digital technology world. So I guess I kind of stumbled into this topic um, kind of accidentally. So I'd been working at the IEA for a couple of years on climate change policy, and um, our executive director came to us and said, you know, what's this digitalization topic and, and buzzword I'm hearing about? And he asked me and my boss to kind of look into the topic. And then we ended up writing a report uh, that we released in 2017, looking at how digital technologies were impacting the energy system. So, you know, everything from uh, heavy industry to buildings, transport, electricity, oil and gas. And uh, in that report, I ended up, uh, I was fortunate enough to work uh, with one of the top experts, Eric Massonet on the chapter that looked at uh, the energy use of ICT. So uh, I guess I'm kind of new to the topic, um, but I've been fortunate enough to learn from um, some of the leading experts who've been working for for decades on this topic. So uh, I mean, it's it's kind of fortunate for me because I've always been interested in technology and it's uh, I've always been interested in the environment, climate change, energy. So it's kind of fun to bring all of it into one thing right now. That's great. That's great. Well, I I would appreciate it if this is a big ask, I realize, but it would be great if you could set the stage for us just a little bit more in terms of um, kind of what the universe of information and communications technologies or ICT. So what that universe that we'll be talking about today looks like. Can you talk through that that ecosystem for just a second? Yeah, um, of course. So um, so when we talk about the ICT sector, so Uh, When we're talking about energy in the ICT sector, we're really talking about three main areas. So data centers, data transmission networks, and devices. So, you know, that all sounds kind of abstract. So maybe if we can think about, you know, how energy is used as listeners are listening to this podcast. So first there's energy that's used at the data center. So these are, you know, large server halls, uh, warehouses that basically have a lot of computers, uh, storage that stores things like this podcast recording. Uh, Then we need to use energy to transmit that data uh, for the recording from the data center to the listener. So Mm -hmm. it might be going through fiber optic cables, routers, uh, maybe mobile network towers. Uh, And then finally, there's electricity that's used um, by the user. Uh, So, you know, maybe they're listening uh, to it on their smartphone uh, or a laptop. So there's electricity kind of at at each step of that uh, chain. And of course, there's energy used to manufacture all those pieces of equipment. So mm-hmm. all the storage equipment, uh, routing equipment, computers, phones, 
And of course, uh, at the end of the life of those equipment, uh, there's going to be disposal and, and or recycling. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a big area. I think it's best to think about these kind of three main uh, buckets, I guess. Great. Okay. That's a really helpful grounding. Um, and so with that background, let's talk about which parts of that ecosystem consume the most energy. Um, I've certainly seen headlines about how data centers in particular are gobbling up energy, including a suggestion that they could consume to a fifth of the world's electricity by 2025, which would of course be tremendously impactful on the energy system. Um, so yeah, can I ask you how much energy is consumed by data centers globally and how has that changed over time? And maybe a follow-up is, does the picture of energy consumption look quite that uh, stark? So I guess the good news is I'm, I'm pretty confident that data centers won't be consuming a fifth of electricity in, in just five years. So okay. to put that into context, that's 5,000 terawatts a year, which is more than the, the entire United States today. So, I mean, the media seems to love kind of, you know, these mind-boggling numbers as headlines, uh, but I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, the, the facts or the reality isn't as exciting. So, and you know, we're seeing these headlines every few months and it's kind of been around for a long time. So there was this 1999 Forbes article that I dug up um, that one of my colleagues, John Kumi, refers to often, uh, where, you know, this, this um, article was saying that the internet could consume half of the U.S. electricity over the next decade. So that's mm -hmm. in 1999. So by 2010, the internet could consume half of the US electricity system. Uh, turns out uh, that was way off. Uh, it was more like 1.5 to 2%. So, <laughs> okay. It's a um, big difference. Yeah. So, yeah, there's been lots of these headlines and it's, it's, uh, it's hard to follow and uh, <clears throat> it's, it's hard to keep track of uh, all the headlines. So, uh, the good news is that uh, based on the best available research we have uh, and the most recent research we have, uh, data centers are consuming about 200 terawatt hours uh, last year. So this is around 0.8% of global electricity use. So nothing close to a fifth or, or even uh, a 50th. So, mm -hmm. And the good news is that it's been pretty flat at around 200 terawatt hours since 2010. So uh, over that time, so over the last decade, internet traffic has grown about 12 and a half times and data center workloads, which is kind of a measure of uh, data center demand, uh, has grown by seven and a half times. But despite all those kind of growing very quickly, um, fortunately, overall data center electricity use has been pretty flat. So, um, and those kind of, that, that kind of number, 200 terawatt hours, can appear big or small depending on how you compare it, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, there might be headlines saying, oh, you know, it's equivalent to the electricity, uh, the, the entire consumption of. Uh, a medium-sized European country or a big mm -hmm. U.S. state. But if we compare it to some other end uses like electric vehicles, uh, right now they're consuming about 80 terawatt hours a year. So just to put that into context, uh, or cooling, space cooling uh, consumes about 2,000 terawatt hours a year right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it really depends how you compare those. But um, yeah, I mean, fortunately, 200 terawatt hours, uh, about just slightly less than 1% uh, for data centers right now. Hmm. So, George, how did we get here from a point where the expectation was of considerable electricity consumption to a relatively modest amount? How did we manage to, to reduce that consumption uh, compared to what we may have expected? Yeah, so it's, it's a really impressive energy efficiency story. Uh, and there's really two main drivers here. So one is um, the efficiency of computing hardware has improved very rapidly. So um, there, uh, there's this trend called Kumi's Law. 
which describes how um, efficiency of computing has doubled every roughly two to three years. So this is a very rapid uh, rate of efficiency improvement. Mm -hmm. And then the other main driver is uh, this huge shift going from uh, smaller traditional so-called enterprise or corporate data centers. So these are you know, something that a medium-sized company or uh, governments might have. And we're seeing more and more of those uh, data center services uh, outsourced to cloud and hyperscale data centers, mm -hmm. which are much larger, much more efficient. Um, I've heard upwards of 10 to 100 times more efficient. Uh, and these are run by you know, companies like Google, Amazon, uh, Microsoft. So it's really these kind of two trends, both at the, the hardware level and then kind of more broadly uh, shifting the type of uh, data center that uh, from a very inefficient uh, traditional system to a much larger, uh, much more efficient system. Interesting. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, so I want to move from that large scale, the sort of data center part of the ecosystem to something that probably is all too familiar to many of us these days, <laughs> but that's a streaming video. Another thing that's kind of shown up in the headlines is particularly in this year where so many of us have been at home and it's only risen in popularity. Um, you know, there's a similar headlines about the amount of energy we consume from our, our evenings of, you know, Netflix and chill. I cribbed that from one of your presentation titles, but it works very well here. So can you talk a little bit about that particular element just as another kind of case study and how much energy goes into those you know, nights of movie streaming? Yeah, so I guess, that, yeah, I have some good news for all the climate conscious binge watchers out there. So streaming <laughs> video is not that bad uh, compared okay. to kind of every, you know, other everyday activities that we do. So um, yeah, the reason I, I did this analysis, so there are a few headlines in the media, I think late last year, saying that watching a half hour Netflix show emits as much CO2 as driving four miles, so about 1.6 kilograms, which hmm. just, kind of out of hand seemed way too high to me. So I dug into the numbers, dug into the assumptions, and then published this fact check on Carbon Brief. Hmm. And it turns out the numbers that you know the headlines were quoting were about 30 to 60 times too high. So uh, instead of four miles, uh, watching half an hour uh, show of Netflix was more like driving a few hundred feet or like a, hmm. a city block, I guess. So uh, not four miles. So yeah, I mean, there was you know, a number of problems with the study. Uh, one of them was just using very out-of-date assumptions. Um, and like I said, like the energy efficiency is improving so quickly, uh, both on the data center side and data transmission side, that you know, even using numbers from four or five years ago can have a huge impact on the, the overall numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I want to come back to you a little bit more. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but the question of what's actually driving that efficiency, if it's just sort of a natural part of the... Essentially, you know, you referred to the the law that kind of drives that, but are there, you know, other other factors at play? Other corporate commitments, other investments? Is it in their best interest to improve that efficiency? So, um, yeah. So let's come back to that. And but I'm happy to know that my catching up on Hamilton and seasons of Game of Thrones is not ruining the planet. That is great. Um, so what are the factors that go into play in terms of putting together an analysis of the energy consumption associated with, with streaming? Yeah, so it really depends on a, a couple factors. So it really depends what kind of screen you're watching on. So are you watching on a large television or a smartphone, uh, your network connection, uh, and the, the resolution you're streaming? So to take an example, if you're watching on a 50-inch uh, LCD TV, uh, that television is consuming about 100 times more electricity than a smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Similarly, if you watched in 4K, ultra high definition, that uses about twice as much data as HD. And uh, if you're on your smartphone, you know, the connection really matters. So using your 4G mobile connection would use about four times as much electricity as through Wi-Fi. Hmm. Um, and then of course, for carbon emissions, uh, it really depends on the grid mix, right? So for instance, I live in France, that half hour show we were talking about emits something like four grams of CO2 because our electricity system is, is uh, very low carbon. So I need to watch something like 30,000 hours of Netflix. Um, so 24 hours a day for something like three years to emit the same amount of carbon emissions that you know, I would emit uh, on a round trip flight from Paris to New York or something. Mm. Mm. So just to kind of um, give consumers a better sense of how their choices affect their overall emissions, mm -hmm. I've republished that commentary on the IA website. And there's like a, an interactive tool where you know, people can enter the number of hours they've streamed, uh, is it on a TV or a laptop, and those kind of things. And just to get a sense of like, how does it compare to like, you know, boiling a kettle or, you know, which is something British researchers have looked into actually, mm -hmm. uh, driving 10 kilometers, uh, and then of course the round trip flight from uh, Paris to New York. So I think maybe the, ma the main takeaway here with the, the article is that uh, driving, so kind of watching a video, has pretty low emissions compared to other kind of everyday activities, uh, especially driving. So uh, long story short, you can ignore those headlines saying that, you know, <laughs> the two hour Netflix uh, binge is worse for emissions than 15 miles of driving. Or uh, another one I found was how cat videos could cause a climate change nightmare. So. Hmm. Well, we're not getting rid of cat videos, so I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. Glad to hear that they're not as bad as we might anticipate. Um, so that's actually a great lead into my next question, where you mentioned that, you know, the grid matters a lot here too, and there is this connection between the amount of electricity we're consuming and, of course, uh, the resulting greenhouse gas emissions, but what is generating that electricity really matters. So what else do we know about the electricity that's fueling all of this sort of you know, growth in demand for internet services. Uh, you've mentioned the efficiency, maybe, you know, the growth in the services isn't necessarily mirrored by growth in electricity demand, but nonetheless, that has to come from someplace. So what do we know about the electricity that's fueling all of this, uh, all of this internet consumption? Uh, so again, I guess I have some, a, a bit of good news uh, in that some of the big data center operators are also some of the, the world leaders in corporate renewables procurement. So. Um, you might have seen coverage around this, but um, uh, you know, one data point is that over the past five years, uh, these ICT companies have accounted for about half of global corporate renewables procurement. So, mm. uh, and just last year, the top four corporate off-takers for renewables were all ICT companies. So, uh, and Google alone signed 2.7 gigawatts worth of PPAs. So, uh, that's one side of the story. Um, the other is that. Typically, um, these big data center operators will try to locate in regions that actually already have low carbon electricity. Hmm. Um, okay. Of course, like the electricity consumption is so high that it's one of the main costs for them. So it makes sense to try to locate in regions uh, that are stable, that have uh, typically cheaper electricity, which you know is usually uh, low carbon uh, in colder climates. So this is why you see more and more big data centers popping up in Denmark or Sweden. Um, so, so on the, the renewable side, it's, it's looking good. But of course, even if they were to buy, um, you know, the equivalent amount of PPAs, renewable PPAs, uh, to match their consumption, that doesn't necessarily mean that 
every kilowatt hour of electricity used by that data center is powered by renewables, right? So um, Google and Apple have achieved this kind of you know 100% matching um, uh, over the year, uh, the last couple of years, uh, but they still need to match um, going forward, match for time and geography. So you know, of course, wind is you know generally more plentiful at night, solar being more plentiful during the day. Um, just because you have a PPA doesn't mean that um, it's it's matching the the data center energy demand. So mm -hmm. I think these companies are thinking more and more about how to uh, reduce their GHG impacts. So Google's announced this 24/7 carbon-free electricity strategy, where they're now trying to think about the grid electricity, their kind of um, generation or their PPAs and figuring out um, how they can manage, for instance, their demand. So how can they, um, for instance, forecast uh, the, the wind that's going to come online so that they can shift their data center demand or workload um, that can uh, take advantage of that lower GHG grid. So, uh, and I think other companies are looking at the renewables uh, in their supply chain. Um, so it's all kind of... Um, I'm really happy to see that it's going beyond, you know, these kind of uh, renewables commitments. Uh, mm -hmm. More and more companies are, are signing on and they're uh, getting closer to 100%. But it's nice to see uh, also companies pushing the envelope and to realize um, that they can do more for the system. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the other thing is the ICT sector as a whole committed to a science-based target earlier this year. So they've committed to reducing their emissions by 45% between 2020 and 2030. So, uh, and I can see, you know, certain governments um, starting to act on this issue as well. So hopefully in the next uh, months and years, we'll see more and more uh, commitments and actions uh, ramping up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, just two quick follow-up questions on that then. So I just want to confirm, so PPAs are power purchase agreements, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you referenced a number of uh, commitments to wind and solar and uh, dealing with the intermittency of those sources. Are there other, uh, what I suppose I would consider clean sources, uh, if not completely renewable sources, like energy storage that can hold on to some of that clean electricity that these companies are also investing in? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I don't know the specifics of, of the company's strategies, but I can imagine that energy storage would be a a key part of their energy portfolio. So uh, the the reliability and resilience of these data centers is extremely important. So mm -hmm. you know, yeah. right now a lot of these data centers have you know big diesel generators for backups. So if they can instead have you know battery storage uh, or longer longer term storage um, that can displace uh, any diesel consumption they might have, while also maybe even participating in the grid. Um, that, that could be a really interesting uh, proposition. Hmm. Well, we've um, we talked mostly, as, as I anticipated we would, about kind of energy consumption and associated emissions. Um, but I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask you about other types of environmental impacts that might be driven by all of this ICT infrastructure as well. And I guess I'm thinking about things like water consumption, land use impacts, biodiversity disruption. Um, I realize these are a little bit out of your mainstay, but I would love to ask if you are aware of other perhaps non-energy related concerns that the sector is grappling with as well. Yeah, so let, let's start with uh, water use. So I think um, some of the big data center operators are starting to become uh, more transparent and report around you know, their usage, 
uh, and improvements uh, around water use in their sustainability reports. Um, the other big impact that I think is, is probably uh, is worth looking at is materials extraction, electronic waste. So mm -hmm. um, I think it's fair to say that most places in the world, uh, we need to do a much better job on electronics recycling. Hmm. Um, so to reduce both the extraction that's coming out of the ground and, and then to reduce the, the toxic waste that we might be putting into our landfills. Mm -hmm. And of course, so, you know, one way to do this is to use the equipment that we have for a bit longer. So, you know, taking an example of a, a smartphone, about three quarters of the environmental impacts uh, come from production and disposal. So not in the use phase where the consumer, you know, is actually using it. So, you know, just by using a phone for a year longer or two years longer, we can really spread out those kind of life cycle impacts. Hmm. Great. So now I want to turn to the uses of the internet that are probably less familiar to many of us. Uh, we've talked primarily about things, you know, streaming, uh, regular data usage that are quite familiar, but there are a number of high energy consumption activities that are beyond the realm of most most of our day-to-day -day reality. Um, and in particular, you know, two that have come across my radar are this concept of Bitcoin mining. I really could use a, a primer in that particular topic. And then also the growth in use of artificial intelligence and the amount of uh, data processing and associated energy consumption that might go along with that. So can we talk a bit more about those things? And what can you tell us about energy consumptions and trends for what I'll refer to as those advanced computing activities? Yeah. So again, it's kind of like the headlines that we saw, you know, with streaming video, with data centers. Uh, there are a number of headlines around Bitcoin emissions uh, or emissions coming from Bitcoin mining in the last couple of years, especially as you know you saw Bitcoin prices uh, going through the roof. Uh, I think it was late 2018, maybe. Uh, so there's there's one article in uh, Nature Climate Change, for example, that said you know Bitcoin emissions alone could push global warming above two degrees Celsius. So. Um, so, I, so in response to some of these headlines, I did a kind of another fact check, kind of reviewing, you know, why does Bitcoin use energy? Uh, how does it use energy? What are the efficiency trends? Uh, what does the global electricity consumption look like? So um, I published a, a review last year in the summer. Um, turns out Bitcoin actually uses about 40 to 80 terawatt hours a year um, last year and this year. Uh, so that's around 0 0.2 to 0.3% of electricity use. So Again, you know, it, it's like if you compared it to a country that would be like a smaller, uh, medium-sized European country, which is large. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really depends what you're comparing it to um, to, to, to give it more context. Um, and then in terms of emissions, um, a lot of the Bitcoin mining is actually happening in China historically. So they seem to be aggregating towards uh, regions that have excess renewables uh, production. So, you know, we could use a global average grid to, to estimate GHG emissions, but it actually might be lower uh, than uh, using a global average grid. So uh, in terms of emissions, uh, Bitcoin emissions definitely won't be pushing us uh, above two degrees Celsius. If that's the case, we've probably um, messed up in, in, in other sectors like transport, electricity uh, industry. So. Um, I think it's, it's kind of dangerous uh, when we try to focus too much on these kind of new emerging technologies, I think. Mm. And it kind of distracts us from the policy and technology and innovation attention that we really need to pay attention to uh, on you know, the, the big sectors, right? So mm -hmm. 
you know, not, not to say that the ICT sector doesn't uh, uh, warrant uh, attention and, and efforts to reduce emissions, but, you know, we really need to cut emissions in power and, and industry and, and buildings uh, and transport. So um, it, it's, it's a tricky kind of communications exercise, I think. It's important to highlight that, you know, emissions and energy use of the ICT sector are, are, are significant. Uh, in some cases, they're growing. But we can't let that kind of distract us from, uh, I don't know, the bigger fish, I guess, in the ocean that we, we need to, to deal with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and, and I do think that clearly every sector that has associated emissions has some role to play in reducing those emissions. But it sounds to me like given that so much of this is driven by electricity consumption, as you point out, a lot of the solutions here are, in fact, one step further back in the chain and about cleaning up that power sector. So um, yeah, so that's an important reminder that there are kind of foundational building blocks to a lot of sectors decarbonization efforts yeah. that start in other places. So I hope it's coming across uh, that um, things change really quickly. So you know, Bitcoin, uh, that's kind of something that emerged in a couple of years very quickly, uh, suddenly is consuming, you know, 0.2, uh, 0.3% of uh, global electricity use. So mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to predict how um, the energy use of ICT is going to evolve over the next 10 to 20 years. So, mm -hmm. you know, things like uh, blockchain, artificial intelligence, uh, 5G, like these things might shape new applications and new demands in ICT that we don't even know about, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the other thing is that um, efficiency gains that I mentioned earlier are starting to slow. Uh, and at some point, um, you know, we're going to run out of uh, efficiency opportunities, right? So uh, I think companies and uh, governments need to really think about uh, investing in RD&D to, to figure out newer technologies that will get us to, to even higher efficiencies. Um, as you know, the, the demand for all these services is, is just going to continue to go up. So mm -hmm. uh, it's really the three, the three prongs, I think. Uh, we need to continue to push efficiency as we have, uh, more and more renewables to power the remaining uh, energy that's needed, and then kind of this next generation technology that's, uh, that's much more efficient. Mm, okay. Well, I feel like we've, you know, as the title of the podcast noted, this conversation is fundamentally about the environmental impacts of, of the ICT sector. Uh, so we've talked a little bit at what I would characterize as the negatives, but I get the sense that there are also some real potential positives. So I want to close kind of the substantive part of our conversation with an optimist view uh, and get your reflections on how some of these digital technologies can actually help reduce emissions. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for bringing this up. So uh, so that 2017 report I mentioned on digitalization energy. So we, we tried to highlight some of these kind of real opportunities that digital technologies could and are having in uh, reducing emissions in industry and transport buildings uh, and the electricity system. And, you know, I think through this COVID crisis, we're really seeing some of these real world examples of, you know, how ICT and digital technologies um, can reduce emissions. So, you know, for instance, we're, we're on the a video conference now um, that can cut you know business travel uh, flights uh, there's a lot more working from home now which means less commuting and energy use mm -hmm. uh, in fact uh, earlier this year a couple colleagues and I at the IA did some analysis around you know what if everyone who could uh, work from home in the world uh, worked from home once a week uh, and we found that you know we could see significant energy savings and emission savings 
um, just by uh, cutting the commute. But of course, there's going to be some increase in home energy use um, from cooling and, and heating. But um, I think it's interesting to, to think about um, these scenarios. But um, it's, it's really the question where you know, some of these uh, ICT technologies could have uh, very large rebound effects or unintended effects. Mm -hmm. So let's take the example of working from home. So I think if it's, you know, once a week, maybe people's general behaviors are not going to change. But if I could work uh, most days of the week from home, I might be willing to move further or further away from cities because maybe I can live in a bigger home, mm -hmm. uh, which actually might require more energy. I might end up driving more uh, in general. So there are these kind of direct effects and then indirect effects and then kind of more structural long-term effects that I think um, you know could go both ways right so it could be good or uh, could make things worse mm -hmm. um, you know same for like things like e-commerce uh, making it easier to purchase online uh, maybe it's cutting down on the you know the travel that we do to go to the store but maybe we end up consuming more um, same goes for the, the streaming videos you know if we were renting it from Blockbuster, uh, we would, you know, there'd be so much more effort to uh, to rent that DVD that we're not going to be watching that, you know, the, the amount that we're binging today. So, mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, another area that I'm I'm particularly interested in is kind of this future of automated and shared mobility. So, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, there was a lot of hype around autonomous cars, um, and then this very large uncertainty about whether you know, whether they would help uh, cut emissions um, because maybe they'd be, you know, shared. We could uh, reduce private ownership of vehicles, reduce parking spaces, uh, kind of like this um, optimistic perspective. And then there's a, a very pessimistic perspective where uh, maybe everyone's just going to be, yeah, like living further away from home, you know, being chauffeured in their autonomous car for longer distances and, and willing to, to take that extra uh, travel time. So, you know, we really don't know. And I think maybe the way to approach this is not so much predicting what could happen or uh, what people think will happen, but rather thinking about what are the, the important policy levers that we have to get to, you know, uh, a better world where we have lower emissions, lower energy use. Uh, and that kind of gets to what I think I'd like to be my final kind of uh, point around digital technology is that mm -hmm. digital technologies is not you know a silver bullet for for climate uh, climate change. So in my opinion, digital technology is really climate agnostic. Mm -hmm. So it could be applied to reduce emissions, uh, but it could just as easily be used to increase emissions. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, we could use it to better forecast wind. But at the same time, we could use sensors and AI to extend the lifetime of coal plants or make it uh, even cheaper to extract oil and gas. So mm -hmm. uh, it really depends on the real world policies that I think shape where these technologies are applied uh, and where, it's, uh, where it makes business sense to use. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll close on that kind of final substantive thought. Mm. Well, that was a great final substantive thought. Thank you very much for, for bringing that conversation uh, kind of full circle in such a helpful way. So, George, it's really it's been fascinating. I really appreciate your time on this uh, on this topic that's so relevant to so many of us. And um, so, I, I'll close with our regular feature, top of the stack. And I'd love to ask you to recommend more good content of any type to our listeners. Uh, so, George, let me turn it to you. What's on the top of your stack? 
Okay, so first I'll say carbon brief. So, um, you know, it's so hard to follow all the climate energy news out there, and uh, I find they, they provide a really good newsletter that kind of summarizes the important issues and, and news uh, of the day or the week. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, they publish my commentary, so <laughs> I'll give <laughs> right. them a plug. Um, the other thing I've, I've just started reading is a book from one of my grad school advisors, uh, Mark Jackard. So it's called Citizen's Guide to Climate Success, Overcoming Myths That Hinder Progress. Uh, and it attempts to debunk some of the common myths around uh, climate policy and action. So uh, I think that's worth, worth a read. Um, and there are some kind of nice New Yorker style cartoons in there about climate and energy from, from one of my lab mates from, uh, from grad school. And then the third one is not really energy and climate related, but mm -hmm. uh, there's this long form stick figure illustrated blog called Wait But Why. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it covers everything from like climate change to procrastination, how to pick a life partner, AI revolution, uh, kind of a really wide range of, uh, of topics and it's really well researched. So uh, there's a couple on climate, so that might be worth, uh, worth a read. Well, that's a great recommendation. The diversity of topics we all need these days. So, well, George, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Uh, really appreciate your time and the information you shared. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks so much, Kristen. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Thanks for tuning in. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, Feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about us at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the participants. They do not necessarily represent the views of resources for the future, which does not take institutional positions on public policies. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.